Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the worlds of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Brian Gaughan and I are recording this week's show on Thursday, May 4th, 2023, Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you, Jim. Yeah, well, I could use a little uh, force help about this time. Yeah, me too. Obviously, it has been a while since Brian and I last did a show, uh, which, by the way, loyal Looking at Lucas listener Jeffrey Tessier took me to task for just last week. He sent me this email back on April 25th, which reads, Jim, every week I keep hoping for a Looking at Lucasfilm podcast. You have missed lots of Star Wars news in the last six weeks. Hopefully, you and Brian will be back soon. Jeff, I... Do sincerely apologize. In fact, I already sent a note of apology to uh, Mr. Tessier the, the day this email came in, uh, just last week. But I also wanted to do so here out in public, right here in the middle of the podcast. Also wanted to stress that this more than a month-long delay between looking at Lucasfilm episode is not Brian Gahn's fault. He's been ready to do uh, the show for weeks. I've been writing, I've been sending Jim stuff. Jeff, I feel your pain. I understand what's going on. But, you know, these things happen. But we still had everything that was happening. We still had Bad Batch and Mandalorian. We did. We did. And, and so, you know, even though you didn't hear us mm-hmm. trying to give our crazy little opinion on it, it's still, we still had it. I guess the only explanation here is I got tripped up by privilege. In late March, early April of this year, I got to go aboard the Halcyon as part of a Disney Dish fan event. I got to spend two days with a group of very nice people as we all experienced Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. Len, uh, my co-host on the, on the Disney Dish, Len Test and I, were supposed to record a show about our time aboard the Halcyon. This was going to be a Bandcamp exclusive show for the very generous people who helped keep the, the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network up and running by subscribing. And the plan was that Len and I were originally going to record our look back at our experience aboard the Galactic Star Cruiser the very day we got off the ship which I want, oh. I want to say was Saturday, April 1st. But here's the thing. Len's a busy guy. I'm a busy guy. And for one reason or another, we never actually got it down uh, around to sitting down while we're both in Orlando and immediately recording that Bandcamp exclusive show about the Halcyon. But you took notes. I, I did take notes. And okay, we are good. finally supposed to record that show next week sometime. Now, you have to understand, what's interesting about Len is Len was on the very first Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, and he brought his sister Chrissy along with him. And Chrissy is not a Star Wars fan. And so Len jumped in with both feet, where Chrissy hung back. And, and I have to admit, what was fascinating when we recorded the show with the two of them talking about their experience about the Halcyon was to get Chrissy's take on what had happened. She, in a lot of ways, had trouble with a number of folks who, for lack of a better term, hogged the experience, you know, the, who would glom onto the cast members and not let other people interact with them. Yeah, it was great hearing her experience. Also, what was great about hearing um, her experience of Lynn mm-hmm. and how... Um, <laughs> I mean, she grew up with she him. Did. She knows what he's this like. True. And Len is one of the, you know, just like us, one of the ultimate Star Wars guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have my family who just roll their eyes mm-hmm. and, you know, and so I can understand. I mean, that was part of the, the hilarity mm-hmm. of and the, the joy of listening to somebody. I mean, I really want to do mm-hmm. this, but I really want to do it with my wife. Okay. And the reason why is because... 
she doesn't she doesn't really accept all this mm -hmm. so to put her into this kind of experience mm -hmm. i'm going to get a whole different level want to stress that people want to listen to the show because Len is in this very unique position of having been on the very first cruise and then right. returning to the ship roughly a year and a month later. So it's okay. It's been that long. Yeah. That, that, and what's kind of interesting is that Len's in a position to talk about how this project originally launched and what it's now like a year or so in and Nothing really big has changed. I mean, it's a lot of little subtle stuff, but... Now, who went with Len? Was Len with his wife or with his sister? Uh, no, Len was just there, uh, like myself, for the fan event. Though, oh, okay. uh, what's interesting, one of the reasons that Len was there by himself okay. was because we had decided... Well, again, this is actually... Chrissy supposedly came up with this idea. That we would, uh, if you remember the whole thing that Len did when he went on the right. first cruise, he, he, you see, you have to come on the boat with a persona, some sort of Star Wars related thing. And so what Len decided he would do is he would play Hank Lonely, the writer, star, director, and producer of these Star Wars adjacent films that were called Space Robots from Outer Space. <laughs> and so the idea was that aboard the second cruise, Len decided to do as Hank Lonely is we were going to shoot the teaser trailer for the 10th uh, installment of the Space Robots in Outer Space series, which was entitled Battle for the Halcyon, The Last Star Cruiser. <laughs> now, I bring this up today because... Again, it's May the 4th, 2023, Star Wars Day. And in honor of doing that, if you go over to YouTube right now and use the, the search terms Space Robots from Outer Space or Battle for the Halcyon or The Last Star Cruiser, you can now see the teaser trailer that Aaron Adams was very kind to, to take all of the footage that Len and I shot with the, the lovely people who came to the Disney Dish fan event, shot on board the ship, also down at, uh, at Black Spire Outpost. Again, it's not high art, folks. But you do get to see me in a very hot, uncomfortable, Obi-Wan-type style cloak. I, again, I, cool. I apologize. This doesn't make up for the fact that looking at Lucasfilm has been without a new episode for six weeks now, but it's a start. So again, my apologies to Jefferson Tessier and, and the rest of you, and I, I will try to do better in the future. But were you still able to do the the little task that you had to do, or were you just focused on on um, your film? Yes, and yes. Okay, good. I can't wait to hear about all this. See, the thing is that Nancy was very fixated on the tasks, and I was... Oh, cool. So it was one of these things. She was doing a lot of the chase stuff down, that sort of thing, and I I was making sure to interact with the folks who'd come out for the fan event as well as helping with the trailer. I mean, I, I still managed to have a good time, and but we'll talk about that on the Bandcamp show. Yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll okay, talk about but it anyway, uh, lots of news, obviously, to cover... But first, a reminder that the news portion of Looking at Lucasfilm is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network for a worry-free travel experience every time. Please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Before we finish talking about the Halcyon, the Walt Disney Company at this point is trying to figure out how to keep Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser uh, up and flying. Because I'm sure you've heard the stories about certain cruises have been kind of undersold. Well, what about your your cruise? What <sighs> Was it undersold? Were there, um, I mean, dinner is where you can usually tell. When you, went, when you went to dinner, were there a lot of people there? I mean. We had two dinners in the big room, the Crown of Corellia dining room. And it was Len himself that pointed this out to me. The, the design and setup of this room is that it's a two-tiered affair. There's tables down on the floor that face central performing area. And then there's a second set of tables that are like two steps up that circle the room. And what was kind of interesting during the time that we were aboard the ship. Now, mind you, there are two dinner seatings, but the upper level was completely empty. You know, all of the tables on the lower part were full, but the upper uh, upper ones were empty. Now, mind you, 
they would have their big theatrical events upstairs in the atrium of the Halcyon. In fact, this is where the finale of the experience. And again, I have to assume the place has been open for a year now. People know that Kylo Ren and Ray have a lightsaber fight. And, you know, again, it's on the upper level. You're down in the lobby or the lobby level in the atrium watching all this action happen around you. The original voyage that Len was on, there were four and 500 people crammed into the space. Whereas for our voyage, I want to say 200, 225, maybe. I mean, don't get me wrong. Sight lines were great. You could see everything. Whereas people who'd been on the earlier cruises talked about you were trying to see around other people's heads and that sort of thing. But to try to fill up the ship. Back on April 2nd, uh, Walt Disney World announced the first ever Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser discounts. Now, mind you, the first set was offered to annual pass holders. Then three weeks later, on April 26th, Walt Disney World extended the same discount, which is roughly 30 to 35%, to Disney Visa cardholders. Now, even with a 30 to 35% discount, you are still talking about a two-day experience that, that costs over $3,000. Right. And, and what's interesting is the dates for both the annual pass holder and the visa events line up fairly closely. There's, there's, you know, May is offering a, a large group of them. Then as we get into June, there are fewer dates, uh, fewer still in July. And then I want to say there are just three discounted cruises in August. And then finally, in September, there's just two. I don't want people to read too much into these discounts. There, there has been some rumors making the rounds about why, for example, Disney, there's a couple of times that the the Halcyon, for lack of a better term, isn't sailing. There's times where this cruise on land is going dark for a couple of days during the week. And what's been interesting is that supposedly the story I've been hearing was that the creative team, uh, the folks who came up with the interactive scenarios, are supposedly looking to do some on-site rehearsals for a brand new itinerary for the Halcyon, one that is oh. is supposed to be built around the Mandalorian and Grogu. Oh, wow. One of the reasons they're doing this is because they're following the Disney Cruise Line model, which does special cruises around Halloween and Christmas, Likewise, there have been Marvel cruises, there have been, you know, Star Wars related cruises. So the thinking is that to get folks to come back and book another trip on the Halcyon, you know, you, you probably need to mix things up. Right, right. One of the the reasons that they're doing this is that Disney's own research shows that people are kind of losing their enthusiasm for the whole Kylo Ren Ray thing. Which I have to say, liar, liar, pants on fire because of the <laughs> the Damon Lindelof story that just came out. And, oh. and uh, Brian, can you talk a little bit about that? Remember, I think we talked in the last one when Damon Lindelof was um, writing a Star Wars movie that was, they were um, saying it could be episode nine and that um, the director was the director from Miss Marvel and she was getting um, ready to to work on it and it it sounded like it was getting close to being done the story that I think you told me was that it dealt with a um, I didn't know there was a ray involved but it dealt with a black or or what was a, a like a brother and sister mm-hmm. um, of color Jedis. Mm-hmm. And it's that which sounded great because what Linderoff did with Watchmen just blew my mind. And he showed me something that happened in American history that I had never heard before. So I thought that this was going to be, you know, something like that, that he was really going to, you know, expand what the universe could be. Okay, before you you continue here, one thing people need to understand about what Lindelof was proposing here is that this was not going to be Daisy Ridley's version of Ray. No. Okay, please continue. And then after that, we, we found out that his 
that Ray was going to be in it, but what was it, sixty years in the future? Yeah, well, yeah. And that he wanted Helen Mirren to be like like the Obi Wan to these two kids. Quick side note here: Lindelof himself evidently said. He wrote it with Mirren in mind, but evidently right, they right. never got to the point where they re- actually reached out to Helen to, to offer the part. The notion is they were going this way, but... Yeah, they, well, he handed it yep. in. Star Wars Celebration took place, and I think what was happening in the background, that they liked the idea of bringing Ray mm-hmm. back, but they wanted Des- Daisy Ridley back. So they fired him. As he put it, he was invited to leave. But he was very positive. That that video he put out, he goes, hey, I want to be part of this. This is my life. This is what I want to do. So I understand why they did what they Mm -hmm. did. I just hope that they bring me back on board. And if we've been hearing what's happening with Ryan, Mm -hmm. what's his last name? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. But mm -hmm. anyway. Oh, Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson. Johnson, that they're talking to him Mm -hmm. again. So... I, I see Damon coming back and, and working on something. Okay, but there's another thing going on here. And, and what is kind of fascinating is Kathleen Kennedy has finally kind of worked the math on what happened with the prequels. The, uh, you know, A Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. Remember when those first came out in the 90s, the original Star Wars fans looked down on the prequels and considered them lesser films. But we work the math. The, the kids who saw those movies and bought the toys are now adults. And they love those movies. And as a direct result, we've seen, you know, for example, the, the wonderful Obi-Wan limited series for Disney Plus where Ewan McGregor came back. Uh, and played that character. Uh, likely uh, Hayden Christensen uh, came back as, as Anakin and, and Vader. And there's suddenly, you know, the sort of light shines over Marblehead with Kathleen. It's like, wait a minute. There's a whole generation of kids who grew up right. with The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. And 10 years from now, there will be a reassessment of those films. Not even 10 years, because the prequels, there was no social media. Now there's social media. So when those kids turn 13, at least, because that's basically when they should get on the internet. That's when I got my kids their phones and allowed them to um, get into social media. When they get to be that age which is only about three or four years away, mm-hmm. that's when the love is going to start coming out for for the sequels, I, I believe. You have Damon Lindelof working on this, you know, the notion of a aged-up right. Ray training the next generation of Jedi, and you have this story thread from the original episode seven through nine, you know, the whole Finn, John Boyega's character, who they hinted at. That he was forced. That's it, exactly. And the whole notion of. Yeah, that would be amazing. You know, so why invent whole new characters when you have this thread that's dangling? Also, Lucasfilm is still smarting from the less than stellar reception for Solo, a Star Wars story. I personally enjoyed it. But the interesting thing is, Audiences just did not seem to warm up to Alden Einrich's performance no. at, as Han Solo. They, they prefer the original Harrison Ford. Also, it's a cliche, but it's true. You know, a lady is allowed to change her mind. And I sat in the audience at Star Wars Celebrations where they talked about the theatrical movie versions of the Boba Fett film and the Obi-Wan film that were going to be made that then got canceled and then got reimagined as limited series and turned out to be highly successful for Disney+. Plus. So, But if they do a solo series, would Emily Clark be the big baddie in that one? I mean, see, that's that's the whole thing. I mean, you, you have to at least keep the whole thread mm-hmm. going and not just change it all willy-nilly. You, you know, make it into a... I don't know. There, there's, there's so much that can be done with that character, and with that, that whole 
thing that was happening at the time. Think about it. We've heard about the Lando limited series that's supposedly in development. That's been talked up, and that's supposedly still a thing that's been moving forward. We're so low. Good. Honestly, I haven't heard anything in quite a while about that. And also the idea of an aged-up female who's wise in the ways of the Force, that's already been done. I mean, you think about... Carrie Fisher's General Organa in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. That's what uh, Leia was in those movies. And, and by the way, uh, speaking of Carrie Fisher, did you see where that uh, beloved actress and author, she just today, again, timed for May the 4th, uh, she got her star on Hollywood. Which, which I can't believe they waited this long. But think about it. We just lost Carrie back in December of 2006. Right, but they shouldn't be posthumous. They should have given it to her when she was around. I'm sure Harrison Ford has been on there for a while. And yeah, but 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 face it, nobody expected us to lose. You know, Carrie that that no, young. No, no, that's you true. Know. That's true. You know. And then and then now this whole um, controversy that her daughter Billy Lord has to deal with. What Brian is referring to here is that. A couple of days out ahead of the actual ceremony in front of the El Cap. In fact, what's kind of cool about where they opted to put Carrie stars, I, I guess it's just a couple away from where Mark's is in front of the El Cap, uh, Mark Hamill. But it's also right across the street from where her mom, uh, you know, the screen, uh, yeah, screen legend Debbie Reynolds is, is I want to say, out in front of the Dolby Theater. So... But anyway, what was interesting is that Lord made a point of publicly not inviting her mom's siblings, uh, her brother, Carrie's brother, Todd, and her two sisters, Jolie and Trisha Lee Fisher, to today's ceremony. And as the story is told, evidently, this came as the result of the, I guess there were two tell-all books that these three worked on about Carrie that came out within a, a year or so of her death back in December of 2016. And I, as Lord said in her statement to the Hollywood press, they know why they're not invited. You don't like to hear things like that, especially... No, you don't. You know, especially how much we love Debbie Reynolds, how much we love Carrie Fisher, mm -hmm. and really Billy Lord, too. I mean, every movie she's been mm -hmm. in, or TV show, she's, she's stand out. She's amazing. She's got the humor that her mother has. Mm -hmm. She's got the chops. She could do drama. I, I don't like to hear about controversy because in this day and age, mm -hmm. even if you're on the right side of controversy, you know, people tend to go after Well, you. if it's any consolation, I mean, Billy is only 30 years old. She was born in 1992. Remember how sure you were of yourself in your, you know, your oh, late yeah. 20s, early 30s? You, you know, that's the thing. That's an age where you know everything. And you get into your 40s and your 50s and your 60s. And you get a yeah. bigger view of, you know, your life and your family. And I, I think you get to be a little more forgiving. You know, it's just sort of like, okay, you did something stupid. <sighs> who is it that the writer, there's a lovely phrase, is home is where they have to take you in. And that's the thing. It's just sort of, I think a 30-year-old would make that sort of decision. A 50-year-old, it's like, oh, just show up. You know, your mom's you know, brother and sister, and just just show up. Would put that sort of thing behind them. But Well, if, if have you ever seen the movie Booksmart? I have not. She's... A minor character mm -hmm. in it, and she was supposed to be in one mm -hmm. scene, and she was so brilliant mm -hmm. that they wrote more scenes for mm -hmm. her, and she steals every scene she's she's wow. in. But it's a it's a very good movie, very funny movie, and it's it's one of those films that I mean, Beanie Feldman, I think her name is, she's in it. Um, speaking of, of Billy again, she definitely has. Her mama's wit, you know, she was telling stories yes. today about her first memories of the Star Wars stories where Carrie at one point wanted to show her young daughter this giant film that she worked on. So she threw A New Hope in the, the VCR and Billy's memory of it is turning to her as it gets started. It's, like, it's too loud, mama. 
<laughs> and then eventually when when Princess Leia shows up in the film, you know, sliding the the, the disc into R2D2 is turning her into is that lady in the TVU mom? Wow. But but honestly she said it wasn't till she made it to middle school and kids would come up to her in the hallway and it's like, "Here's your mom, really, Princess Leia." That she began to appreciate how cool it was to to have a mother who was Carrie Fisher. So supposedly a lovely ceremony today and Given how big Carrie's career was, and as you mentioned, working on scripts with, with all this, you know, the pickets out there right now for the the WGA, I really hope this strike gets resolved soon because um, yeah, going to be interesting to see what gets impacted, including the Lucasfilm projects. You know, depending on how long the strike lingers on. But I'll tell you what, folks, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we get back, Brian is going to tell us all about. Star Wars Celebration in London this year. So, as we mentioned, Brian did his due diligence and really dug into Star Wars Celebration from a distance. And so let's talk about what we learned coming out of London this year. It was great to be on the West Coast mm-hmm. with this. Well, maybe not because um, on the East Coast it started, I think, on new, uh, 6, 7, 8, 9, 9 mm-hmm. o'clock. On the West Coast it started at mm-hmm. 6. But um, it was live, and the main stuff you got was at the one that was just here at Anaheim. Mm-hmm. They had this stage where they would interview people who got off the main mm-hmm. stage where the panels mm-hmm. were and they would talk to them. And that was the main just, they would have mm-hmm. um, interviews with these mm-hmm. people. They did not show the big events mm-hmm. like the Lucasfilm event. And they did not show the bad batch event. I think that yeah. was it. And again, I think as we discussed earlier in the show, I mean, the, the thing is that much like comic con, they want the big event to be for the people in the room, the people who traveled there and paid the money to get the lanyard to be in the space. Now, the irony is 30 seconds after each of these panels were were done, Lucasfilm or Disney would release the info about what was shared in the room. So, right. you know, there it was like... You know, if you were there, yes, you got the information early, and yes, you got to see the the trailer and or the the footage, but the news would break instantaneously after this. And so, no, I get your frustration. And, and in fact, we've had this conversation about Comic Con before. About yeah, and I I don't understand that because there are people all over the world that would like to see this, and if you charge twenty five bucks to get the whole mm-hmm. experience, I guarantee you. It would be like a, a wrestling, a World Wrestling Federation event. People would line up to see this. I mean, like I said, I was up. It was on Friday, mm-hmm. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And I got up every morning to watch it. And I watched it through the mm-hmm. whole day. The great thing about it, too, is that you could rewind mm-hmm. it and you could fast forward mm-hmm. it, too. So you didn't have to see it live, but you could watch it live on YouTube. I don't know if you saw... I mean, look, I'm not a fan of what Elon Musk has been doing to Twitter, but did you see what he recently proposed about places like the New York Times or the Los Angeles Times, you know, that that have, I mean, for example, if you want to read an article that New York Times or the Los Angeles Times, you know, has printed online, you have to subscribe. And, you know, for a lot of people, they're just not willing to pay that money to go behind the paywall. But what's kind of interesting is Musk recently proposed, well, what if we made it, brought it down to the individual article? That, you know, what if we found the fee that people would be comfortable with paying to read, you know, not subscribe to the whole digital version of the newspaper, but just that individual article? And I'd love to see that business model succeed because, A, writers would get paid and newspapers and magazines could still stay in business. But more to the point, the very thing you just proposed, uh, Brian, you know, the notion of, you know, like WrestleMania, people paying for access to the, say, the Marvel panel in, you know, Hall H at Comic-Con. 
I'd, I'd pony up 25 bucks to sit in my own home and, and be able to watch that. And likewise, you know, hopefully the, the folks at Lucasfilm could look at that and go, okay, Star Wars Celebration, sure. Let's look at... Well, especially next one's going to be in Japan. I mean, unless I, um, you know, become a, a Instagram darling or something, I don't know if I can afford something like that. <laughs> well, that would be funny. Could you imagine me being an Instagram influencer? I, I can influence all the 65-year-olds to start drinking in sure. <sighs> Well, we all have dreams, Brian. Yeah, so I watch these things, and some of the, these are the things I got out of it. First of all, Dave Filoni deserves everything that he gets. The man was a geek nerd working on uh, work on animation because that's where he mm-hmm. should be. He was discovered basically by George Lucas. He was brought in. He had no reason. He felt he had no reason to be there, yet he knew all about what was going mm-hmm. on. And he did something mm-hmm. to where, well, then when it got sold to Disney and Kathleen Kennedy got in there, she knew that he was going to mm-hmm. be the face of the new Star Wars. And she brought him to John Favreau to say, come on, show this guy the ropes, groom him. And my God, he is one of the funniest guys mm-hmm. in the world. One of the best self-depreciation mm-hmm. people. I mean, he just, he makes fun of himself, but every time he does, you just want to hug him mm-hmm. and say, oh, that's okay. You're just one mm-hmm. of us. And he just, but, and he's so smart. Well, if he, if he's so smart, okay, right, here we go. why was he the worst <laughs> ever Easter egg in the the, the season oh, yeah. finale of season three of the Mandalorian. Yeah. It's like, you know, did they, you know, the, the, the guys who work in the costume department is like, get me the biggest hat on the planet. Yeah. That's not even his hat. That was a hat that they, they use for the sh- Well, okay. But that was his second I know, appearance. I know. As, as that character actually, what the third appearance because they were once in the but yeah I know but they they, they put his like a sore thumb yes okay. he was but you're so you're supposed to focus on Grogu and eating all the the salted peanuts and stuff like that if we we, we could pause here for a sec I mean again you know remember one of the things that got announced at Star Wars Celebration in London is that Dave's getting his own movie but it's supposed to take all of the limited series. That he's worked on on Disney Plus, and well, the way it was described as as kind of an Avengers, you know, the notion of, of yeah. all these characters are going to come together from the limited series for a big screen adventure, which that's kind of a genius idea. Oh, not only that, but you know who the big bad is going to be? It's going to be Thrawn, and that they announce Thrawn. There, that was one of the, I'm getting a little excited mm-hmm. right now. That was probably the biggest thing was announcing that um, uh, Mickelson was going to mm-hmm. be Thrawn and then showing him in the mm-hmm. blue makeup, which he looks exactly like he did. And then I think they hinted that Ezra's going to be mm-hmm. in it too. And then seeing Mary mm-hmm. Elizabeth Winstead, is that her last name? As Hera. I don't think there's a better person that could play Hera as she did. I just saw her in a movie called mm-hmm. Kate, where she plays um, basically a you know a, an assassin mm-hmm. badass, and she was incredible. And to see her in the makeup, it, this is going to be a series. Now, I know Dave wrote them all. Did he direct them all? That I can't tell you yet. Okay. Because I'm, I'm thinking if not all of them, he's at least doing the first and the last. Okay. Now, uh, if we could slide back to the films for a moment, can you talk about the other two filmmakers? Well, James Mangold, who is being mm-hmm. hailed, mm-hmm. Um, even by Mr. Steven Spielberg himself, yes. about making a film that Steven said he would make, mm-hmm. is on the fast track to do a Star Wars film, which is going to, it's going to deal with the High Republic, right? Well, yeah, but I, uh, you buried the lead there. What Brian's referring to is that I guess James Mangold finally showed, I mean, again, don't get me wrong, Steven's producing 
Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So this guy's, you know, up to speed on to, you know, what was going on with the film and have been seeing the dailies, you know, had his finger on the pulse. But I guess they finally had cut it together with the music and, and that sort of thing. And Stephen sat down and watched it. And I guess the lights came up and Stephen said, I thought I was the only one who could make one of these. Yeah. That's high praise from the guy who made the the first four. You know, the effect of, okay, you can actually do this. But what Brian's referring to is evidently the folks at uh, Lucasfilm were were so pleased with what uh, James had done with Dial of Destiny that Mr. Mangold was invited to do a a Star Wars film. And and as you mentioned about the High Republic and the other director, this is the woman who's handling the Ray movie, right? Right. The, this was originally the director on the Damon Linderoff um, production. Mm-hmm. It, it's uh, Charmaine Obaid Shinoy, mm-hmm. and she did an outstanding, mm-hmm. if not better than outstanding, job on Ms. Marvel, which I went back and watched the, the last episode again. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen the series, mm-hmm. first of all, it brings you a part of history, again, mm-hmm. I knew nothing about. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's something you didn't expect, mm-hmm. but now you're glad you're ha- uh, At least I'm glad I have. She did a great job. It was a wonderful. And seeing Miss Marvel in the mm-hmm. in the trailer mm-hmm. for the Marvels, yeah. and see that she's basically the one that's doing the the comic duties. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh man, next week, Guardians of the Galaxy. But I'm looking forward to the Marvels. I'm looking more far. I mean, I love. The, the cast in that. And I just think it's going to be, you know, one of these films that is just going to give you the warm and fuzzy. Oh, well, well, speaking of, of warm and fuzzy, that I had a friend at Disney Consumer Products reach out this week and said, I just want to put a bug in your ear, a hot toy for the, the 2023 Ooh. holiday season, the Flurkin Kitten. <laughs> so, oh, God, I can't wait to get my Flurkin. And you, don't you collect um, Disney kittens? I, uh, well, cats, cats, yes. Nancy and I have a sickness. But the thing about Mangold, too, I mean, if we go back to the High Republic, the High Republic in itself mm-hmm. can be a series. It can, it can. They could just stay in the High Republic and you can do so much with that mm. to build up to the prequels that he is given the John Favreau role that Favreau was given for Marvel with Iron Man. He is going to set the tone mm-hmm. for a whole new Star Wars universe. Forgive me for sticking a fork in, in your very Uh-oh. optimistic balloon here. <laughs> but I, as you pointed out, the last time... There was a Star Wars celebration, the one in Anaheim. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Can, can you talk about the many talented people in the Rogue Squadron? and Rogue Squadron sounded like it was going to be the wings of mm-hmm. the 21st century. Right. And I just, I was looking forward to it. And it was bringing a female energy mm-hmm. to the Star Wars universe, which mm-hmm. I think is sorely des- uh, needed. Mm-hmm. And it was something, and it was going to be a very personal film of um, Patty Jenkins because her father was yeah. a flyer in World War II. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that disappeared. Right, <laughs> and likewise, you know, we had what sounded like a really promising take on, you know, from Taika Waititi on what a, a Star yeah. Wars film was. And he was so excited, and, you know, he was coming in going, yeah, this will be the next Star Wars film. And then, what, about six years later, he goes, I turned in my first draft, and I'm no longer on Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But Colin Trevelor, mm-hmm. they, the, then they were saying, well, he could be number nine, mm-hmm. or he could be working on a, a three-parter, mm-hmm. or he could be doing that. Ryan Johnson, he may be back. So all these, like, and then Kevin Feig. Remember mm-hmm. Kevin Feig was going to do one? Yeah, you know, Mr. Feige. I get a look. Feige, I mean, get a look. Feige hasn't even directed a Marvel film, but he was going to direct a Star Wars film. To be the wet blanket here, I don't know if you saw Kathleen Kennedy's comment to Empire Magazine about going forward uh, what Lucasfilm intends to do with the Star Wars movies. But according to Kathleen, the model for what she'd like to do going forward with Star Wars is like, these have to be events again. Yes. She says, talking with the folks at Disney, she keeps bringing up Bond. 
If you think about the Bond movies, they only come out every three or four years. And, you know, there's no pressure to make a movie every year. And to her way of thinking, the way we have to go here is these have to turn back into events. I don't know if you saw the story in the trades just this week, but on the heels of Ant-Man of the Wasp Mania underperforming, they were actually talking about the fact that, you know, we've got Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 opening, in fact, today. And there was literally a story, uh, I forget, it was either The Hollywood Reporter or Variety, that with the headline, Marvel reaches a tipping point. You know, to the effect of there were so many people who are just, you know, like vultures waiting for Guardians this weekend to not do the projected numbers. Well, they're going to have a lot of waiting to do. Because when you give a James Gunn something, he's going to go above and beyond to what... But I mean, look at what the first one. They released the first Guardians of the Galaxy in what month? Do you remember? I want to say it was August. Yeah. August. Yeah. That's where you put the films that you just have to throw out there so you can get a tax write-off. And what happened with that? That blew everybody away because it changed the tone of the Marvel Universe and it set something new up that we are now seeing the end of. Mm-hmm. And didn't uh, Eisner think that uh, Finding Nemo was going to be the one film that was going yeah, to, you know. get her there. Well, but to be fair, you know, Michael Eisner sat and watched the eight different versions of Finding Nemo while they dialed in what that movie was actually about. Well, you can never predict the American or even the world audience. Well, but also, you, you also have to trust the process. And so we're talking about Nemo. The original voice actor for Nemo was Bill Macy. Was Bill Macy, and yeah. And the whole structure of that movie was you kept getting these little pieces of, you know, these little flashbacks. It was only when you were two-thirds of the way into the movie where you finally got to see the Barracuda attack in its, its full. And, and you got to watch Marlon's wife killed and all the eggs eaten. And, and you uh, now you got to see why Marlon was so protective of Nemo. And it was, you know, just the realization of as they were making the movie, it's like, oh, God, the structure doesn't work. We have to take the movie apart and rebuild it. And, you know, Marvel is famous for shooting and then reshooting and then reshooting and then... They should trust themselves. And I don't think they trusted themselves that much on the Quantumanium. And and that's why it doesn't... You, see, I saw the movie. Mm-hmm. I loved the movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was good as the other movies. But you still wanted mm-hmm. his gang. You still wanted the narration by a um, mm-hmm. an unreliable source. Yeah you know, his friend, and you still wanted that. Oh, no, 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 no doubt, no doubt. And that changed it, but now you were introducing mm-hmm. a bad guy who everybody has already told mm-hmm. you that this guy is going to destroy the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. So how can you be even laugh at things when you know that this is the most evil guy mm-hmm. on the planet? If you remember, when Quantum Mania came out in February, in fact, it was considered high praise at the time to the effect of, this is Marvel's Star Wars movie. I mean, between right. the characters and the world and the field and, and that sort of thing. And that said, it it still comes out on, on Blu-ray and DVD next week or thereabouts. I'm very much looking forward to getting my hands on that. But to bring it back home here, my concern about if we're talking about today, with the Writers Guild strike... How long this lasts, you know, potentially has a chilling effect on Marvel and Lucasfilm because the writers aren't allowed to work on projects until this strike is resolved. Well, didn't didn't, um, Favreau says he has um, season four all written? He said that on purpose. So people would go, he goes, ah, it's all written. Mm -hmm. It was written before the strike because maybe he saw the writing on the wall. But at the same time, you've worked on enough films and you've worked on television to know that you get on the set and then, oh, the location fell through or the actor got sick or we need to change this. We have 
magenta paint or uh, pages today, or we have yeah. um, chartreuse pages, or we have one time it was so funny we had this dark green mm. page and nobody could read it. A couple of these strikes have gone on for months. Oh yeah, we had a what the the really bad one was. Mm. In the the early nineties, yeah, 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 wasn't that almost a full year? Yeah, and it was, and then the movies that came out were, I mean, and we've already last year was not last year, but the year before was possibly the worst. Mm-hmm. No, last year was pretty bad too. The worst movies we we've had in a long time, mm-hmm. and then this year looked like you know a lot of great films, mm-hmm. you know, because of the whole lockdown thing. Mm-hmm. But now after the lockdown, now we're having this. You know what? I think the writers deserve whatever they're asking for because they work their ass off and they are the least, you know, it's like, what's the joke? Um, the naive girl um, who, uh, you know, what she did was she dated the writer. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Sleeping her way to the top and she, the yeah, poor, by dating the writer. You know, oh like, my God. Poor dear. But what's fascinating is if you look at all of the writer strikes that have happened previously, they've all been about moments when the industry changed. I mean, I want to say the writer's strike in the 80s was about getting the cut of, of VHS money. And then the, the right. writer's strike in the 90s or thereabouts was getting revenue off of shows being repurposed for the internet. And now they're striking today because of the inequity between what writers are paid for films going into theaters and or television shows being presented on the networks versus what they then get paid for these things to be streamed. And it's like, it's this huge revenue stream for the, the studios and the corporations that own the studios. Well, it's not only that, they're not playing fair. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who's an actor and he was in uh, Star Wars Discovery. Mm-hmm. And I did not have... CBS mm-hmm. at the time, so I went over to his house and I watched mm-hmm. it. And I go, oh, there's commercials in it? He goes, yeah. Not only that, mm-hmm. but you don't get paid the network rate mm-hmm. for these films. You get paid the internet rate, which is mm-hmm. a lot less. Plus, they're double dipping. Mm-hmm. They're paying you less, and then they're charging people to see it, and they're also charging advertising. So, you know, they were bringing in the buck. So, you know, it's going to start with the writers. But whatever the writers get, the directors are going to get 10% more. And then the actors are going to get 10% more of that. And that's what the producers have got to think, too. And that's what they're, they're, they're working with the writers. But they're also setting up for the directors and the, the actors because, you know, mm-hmm. you know, they don't want to give away the boat, but they don't want to give away, mm-hmm. you know, all their dough that they're, they've been making for free the last couple of years. This is true. This is true. Well, here's coping, folks. In two weeks' time, when, when Brian and I come back with a brand new episode of, of Looking at Lucasfilm, I, I promise you, Jefferson, we, we, we will actually do this. Hopefully the writer's strike will be resolved at that point. But toward that end, though, I know, again, Jefferson mentioned there was so much news we didn't get to, and I promise on the next show, Brian and I will talk about how season three of The Mandalorian wrapped up, likewise season two of The Bad Batch. Uh, also, all of this uh, May the 4th stuff that debuted on Disney Plus. Now, you were mentioning, uh, Brian, you managed to get to see two or three of season two of Star Wars Visions. Yeah, I'm one of these people, um, you know, maybe I have a little OCD, but I like to see everything in order. Mm-hmm. So I watched the first two of the visions and the first one is the animation and the the design is brilliant. It looks like you're watching a David Mack comic book. It's that great. The second one was done by Cartoon Saloon, the Irish company mm-hmm. who did Wolfwalkers mm-hmm. and Book of Kells, mm-hmm. which is one of my family's mm-hmm. and my dad even before um one of their favorite films because mm-hmm. it's you know deals with Ireland, mm-hmm. and then I didn't watch the fourth one mm-hmm. <laughs> or the third one. I went straight to the fourth one, which was Ardman, mm-hmm. and boy, I mean, if you're a, a Wallace and Gromit fan, mm-hmm. um, and I got to see it a second time too because I'm sure mm-hmm. that there is 
uh, a hidden Wallace and Gromit in there someplace. Okay. But it's done by Ardman, and it's 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 got that sense of humor, you know, Sean the Sheep. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to get more detail in it when, you know, we get back in two weeks, and then you know, more people have seen mm-hmm. it. And then the Simpsons short that is pretty good. I did manage to catch before uh, Brian and I started recording this evening. The Rogue, not quite one. Not quite as good as the, as the no. other Simpsons Disney-esque shorts. But you were saying worth it just for the Easter eggs, the stuff that's hidden in the Oh, credits. there are so many great Easter eggs that you will mm. be doing. Um, you, you'll be uh, stopping it just to look at the things that are there. Okay. It's cute. It's clever. Mm. It's it's got the the Simpsons humor, mm. and you can't help but just feeling good after you watch um, stuff like this. Well, you know, but it, but I guess what's kind of ironic in the same window of time where we have Maggie, you know, dealing in the world of the the Mandalorian right. and the like. Uh, we also in the same window of time got the uh, Star Wars Young Jedi Tales. Haven't seen it yet, but I'll probably see one today. Yeah, preschool series, and, and again from Disney corporate, you know, the cradle to grave. But I, what I like about this though is that they're, you know, yes, they're they're giving us a, a kids show mm-hmm. and stuff, but they are introducing mm-hmm. the the High Republic. Oh, okay. This is what I heard. All right. Well, I, again, I don't much know much about the show, but again, I will have watched it by the time Brian and I are back here to record our next Looking at Lucasfilm, which again, Jefferson will be very soon. Until that time, uh, Brian, uh, where can the nice folks find you on social media? Uh, as usual, um, Geek with Children, C H I L D R N. And, and where can we find you? Um, well, I'm still on the Twitters. Uh, likewise, oh, we've been doing a, actually a lot of stuff over on Instagram as Jim Hill Media. Also on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. So come on by, check that stuff out. Also want to remind you, we have a couple of other podcasts here uh, you might want to check out. We got Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. We likewise have Fine Tuning that I do with Drew Taylor. And by the way, Drew has a wonderful uh, Mission Impossible podcast, Light the Fuse, that is well worth checking out. We, of course, also have Marvel Us Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams, the gentleman who edits all the podcasts here. And he, in turn, has his own brand new show, 32nd Street, which shines a spotlight on advertising in Madison Avenue, and that's well worth checking out. Beyond that, folks, if you could do Brian and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend uh, the show you're listening to right now, looking at Lucasfilm, that would be helpful. And if you really, really, really like what you hear here, uh, if you get out of Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool, too. And anyway, again, apologies for the distance between show. We will do better. And likewise, I'll give you a heads up when Len and I finally talk about our experiences aboard uh, Star Wars, the Galactic Star Cruiser. But till then, thanks for listening, and we will be back soon.